Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is Tom Roddy. Tom, how are you doing? It's been a long time yeah. since you've been with us. It has, it has. Um, and it's a, it's a shame it can't be done in the studio face to face, but uh, there we go. But yeah, very well. Yourself? Yes, very, very well, Tom. How have you found post-lockdown or post-restart, let shall I say, with, with football resuming? How have you found it all? Yeah, oh, it's been brilliant, actually. Um, it's sort of a, I think it's a sort of renewed appreciation of of um, kind of the job and also um, just, just football in general, really. Um, I remember when, when the Bundesliga came back and, and everyone was kind of, not everyone, some people were sort of saying it wasn't that exciting. Um, but I think with the Premier League and, and with the Championship, you it, it's much, it's been much better. Um, and and it's been, I think it's been a lot better than every, anyone expected it to be even. Mm. I think you might be right. Um, Gregor, how are you keeping? I'm good, how are you? Yes, I am, I'm doing very, very well. Getting excited uh, about Brentford? Oh, Gregor, I, I don't even know. I, do you know I am? I'm so excited, but it's still that annoying thing of West Brom and Leeds are not doing their bit. They're not losing right now. So it's a bit yeah, frustrating. It's getting close, and I enjoyed uh, Mr. Frank's kind of tactical masterclass during the drinks break oh. when he got out of the tactics board well, and he started pointing at everyone. <laughs> what, what, do you know what? It's, it's interesting you, men- you mentioned that. We should just refer to it, shouldn't we? This, the second half of the game against Charlton, Brentford are 1-0 down. They have the water break, as they're meant to have. Um and Thomas Frank brings out, as you say, the magnetic tactics board, which yeah. I have never seen a manager do, obviously, on a pitch. Um, what did, is that right? Is that taking it a little bit too far? What did you think, Gregor? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, Chris Wilder had said, I think, in the last round of fixtures too, that he's, you know, football is now a game of four quarters because yeah. it disrupts the, the flow of the game so much and it allows, you know, the, the drinks break is almost an excuse for uh, a manager to make their their points tactically and and that's what uh, Thomas Frank did you know as you say he pulled at the board and he was very sort of um, animated he was pointing at at Sideburn Rama quite a lot in the front three and he was pointing at the spaces they should be attacking and and then obviously they they changed the game in that that last quarter so it's interesting and you know the the substitute rule looks like it's going to be going to be kept I really hope that this isn't kept too because I think it does alter the dynamics of the game alters the flow of the game Mm, yeah, uh, as you say, I think a lot of managers have raised that they're not quite happy with it. What, what do you make of it all, Tom? Are you in favour of these water breaks? And are you? Uh, there were some dissenting voices, I have to say, that didn't think Thomas Frank was right bringing out a tactics board. <laughs> I don't think I have no issue with Thomas Frank, who I'm a big admirer of. Um, I have no issue with him doing that because I think when um, when managers and players are given these opportunities. They'll they'll take them. Um, there's no rules to say you can't do that. Um, I think they when they introduce them, I understand why they introduced them. Um, we didn't expect to be um, looking outside on a on a, a middle of July uh, today, and it's uh, cold and wet. Um, but they haven't. There've been few games. I remember that Southampton Arsenal game where it was boiling hot. But there have been few games where it's actually been necessary to have a drinks break but you could have had the foresight and put the the drinks at the other side of the pitch um and not had 
the coaches having that sort of mm. time out that, that it's turned into. Um, so I, I, I certainly hope it doesn't stick around. Tom, I knew there was a reason why I liked you and I knew there was a reason why you were on this pod today and that is because you, like me, believe Thomas Frank is an innovator. <laughs> I, wondered, I wonder where we, you were going with that now. Did you don't usually say that. <laughs> Do you know what? We've got loads coming up as Tom actually will bring us some exciting news for Chelsea fans and we tackle the controversial subject of changing club allegiances. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. There's loads of action to get our teeth stuck into, but let's kick off with Manchester City. The headline in the Times today reads, Brilliant Silver helps City run riot, as David Silver put in a man-of-the-match performance to help Manchester City sweep aside Newcastle 5-0 at the Etihad. City had 74% of possession. They fired off 23 shots and had a 93.7% pass success rate, a record since Opta began, gathering passing data 17 years ago. And at the centre of it all was Mr. Silver. Two assists, a hand in City's second goal and even getting on the score sheet himself with a curling free kick. It of course takes a lot to outshine Kevin De Bruyne in City's midfield but Silver managed it last night. Tom, how eye-catching was his performance? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was incredible, wasn't it? I mean, uh, we, we do the ratings for games um, in the paper for, for, for pretty much every game and uh, I remember a few years ago, someone saying to me a, a kind of general idea of how to how to go about it was everyone starts on a six. And um, if you see them do a couple of things good, they bump up to a seven. If you see them do a couple of things bad, pretty bad, you bump them down to a five. Um, that, that performance from Silver was easily a nine. I mean, and I think mainly because like, like you said, Nat, the two assists he got, um, and and the goal he scored, all of which were brilliant. But but I I, I think he I'm right in saying he had a hand in everything, every goal that they did. Uh, but it was also the the, the pressure pressurizing, um, which has become you've seen players in the Guardiola era having to players who you thought may have fell by the wayside with Sergio Aguero, who have 
who have who've, um, sort of tapped into what Guardiola wants, gone along with him. And, and when you think Silva's leaving, when you think he's 34 years old and he's still nicking the ball high up the pitch and, and setting up attacks, yeah, I mean, he's just a brilliant player. Yeah, he, he certainly is. And we'll talk about him in more detail. But, Gregor, when a team puts in such a dominant display as a City did against Newcastle, does it make their previous result, and of course I'm referring to that defeat to Southampton, even more baffling? It does, yeah. But actually, I mean, if you if you look at the stats of the game, they, both games they had roughly 74% of the ball, which, you know, they dominated as always. And they had more attempts on goal against Southampton. They had 26 and they had 23 against Newcastle. So, you know, I think it really was just boiling down to the finishing. Um, and and probably to, to a performance like Silva's too, because, you know, as Tom said, he did have a hand in, in pretty much every goal. The first goal in particular, it was like, you know, it's this move that's become so familiar with Guardiola and Silva is always so central to it, where, you know, the ball is played out to, to Foden. And he kind of he always takes up these little pockets of space in between the lines. But when the ball goes wide like that, he darts inside. It's like an underlap almost inside down the down the side of the eighteen yard box. And it's so hard to mark because the fullback's gone out wide to Foden, and it means it so the, the opposition are reliant upon a midfielder tracking Silva's run, uh, and they rarely do. So he gets in the box and he and he's the best there is at picking out a man in the a man in the box. So you know he did that, and I think the second was almost a carbon copy, except it was Silva to Foden to De Bruyne, who made the same run down the down the box. So, it, yeah, I just I, I, it's really hard to, to pinpoint why. Guardiola said after the Southampton game, why they why they their finishing on occasion is is kind of blunt. And I think often it happens when Aguero's not in the team, whether he's injured or not. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you have a, a performance like Silva's, who's kind of... Laid, laid several several goals on a plate and scored a free kick, then, you know, that wins the game for you. Well, Silva topped the charts for touches, 136, passes, 112, opposition half passes of 65, duels 14, possession gained six, tackles two, shots four and assists two in the game. My goodness, you can just purr over all of his stats. And he's also now registered 10 or more assists in all 10 of his seasons at Manchester City. Even the compare for the night at the Etihad couldn't keep pace with Silva when he was announcing in injury time that Silva had won the Man of the Match award because he'd been involved in his 140. 50th league goal, the 34-year-old Spaniard ruined it by making it 151 when he set up Raheem Sterling for City's fifth. Departing at the end of the season, the 34-year-old did tweet after the game, I'm going to miss this team. And he also used a blue heart emoji. Let me come to you first, Tom. It's probably the inevitable question, but we have to ask it. Where do you think he ranks in the greatest midfielders we've seen in the Premier League? <laughs> um, oh, I think there are there are I don't think there are many harder questions to yeah. answer than that. And I think I think there are um it's such a nuanced question because of, you know, he's so he's so different to someone like say an Angolo Kante or a or a Roy Keane. But I think for the 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 level of consistency and the way in which he's sort of he he's kind of represented the way in which City have evolved over the years from first winning the title, he was such a key figure in that. Um, to 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 being such an influential figure, who uh, Guardiola <laughs> rightly purrs over, um, and and you see as well 
Phil Foden now, I mean, he, he was tweeting last night as well about learning from Silver. And you do see similarities, the way in which both of them are constantly checking around them. They, they constantly have an idea, a picture in their head of, of, of what's around them, the options. Um, and it, where, where he ranks, um, I mean, I would say he's got to be in the top five for the level of consistency. But, you know, this is this is such a congested field with the, the likes of Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, Yaya Torre. Um, I mean, even, you know, they're, they're, they're a, his, the people he's played alongside with Kevin De Bruyne and, and Yaya Torre, they'd, they'd be contenders for a, for a top five, top ten as well. So even even his teammates, two of his teammates should be in there as well. Mm. Uh, Gregor, do you think in some ways we won't truly know what we are missing until we have known longer a David Silver in the Premier League? I think so. Yeah, I mean, Tom, Tom's absolutely right there. It's kind of, it's almost if you're you're trying to rank him, it's a matter of taste. If, you know, mm. someone like Steven Gerrard is an all-action box-to-box midfielder, and Lampard, who who's the ultimate at time and runs into the box and scoring goals, Paul Scholes, kind of can spray balls left, right and centre. Patrick Vieira and Keane, they're kind of, you know, the engine room and the sort of heart and soul of the team. But for a technician, for the uh, an actual technician, um, you know, master of the football, and as Tom said, sort of a, someone who's a bit of an emblem of, of, of the journey that Manchester City have been on because he's been there for throughout, uh, along with company. Um, you know, there, there, there's... He is right up there. He has to be right up there. And I think I think it will be a case where it's, it's another player that Manchester City will almost find it impossible to replace. You know, Kevin De Bruyne is is a wonderful midfielder, one of the best in the world, um, and he's still in his prime. Foden is developing, and he the way he's gliding around the pitch at the moment, he's he's going from strength to strength. But neither of them are David Silva, um, and I think. It, as, as they as they found it so hard to replace uh, company, they will they will find it almost impossible to replace Silva. Well, since joining from Valencia in 2010, Silva's gone on to win four Premier League titles, two FA Cups, and five League Cups, and could yet end his time at the club with more silverware. Since his Premier League debut, Silva heads the charts with 92 assists and 790 chances created. That's more than any other player in that period. And after the game, Pep Guardiola was asked how he'd like to see Silva honoured by the club. He said, this club has had many incredible top players. Zabaleta, Hart, Company, Silva, Aguero, these types of guys. This group of players help this club be where it is. After this kind of thing, we name a street, a pitch. And what he has done is incredible, fantastic, not just for the game today, for the last 10 years. What we want is for the people to come back to the Etihad for a game for him as one of the legends of the club. So it, it seems as though that there will be a David Silva testimonial game to come. Does he deserve a lot more than that, though, Tom? Guardiola talking about a, a, a street and pitch. Of course, that is what they did for company. There's a, there's a pitch named after company, and there's, I don't think um, there are there are. I think even with silver, company is still more representative of of the success um, that City have had in the journey they've been on. So I think their their problem is that. You know the the likes of Arsenal having Thierry Henry outside outside the Emirates. Um, that, that's a completely obvious choice. With City, there are so many key players in that in that period, and and 
more to come now because Gregor made a really good point earlier about it depends on on your taste in player um, where they rank and and for me I I actually I like. Kevin De Bruyne more than I like David Silva because I think he's more, I think he could play in absolutely any team and he can play in pretty much any position. Um, I think he's the ultimate midfielder, but that's segueing a little bit. But um, so, so yes, I, I don't know if he, he particularly, he, he certainly deserves more what they can do. I'm not so sure. I think they'll have to have a mural or you'll, it'll be, it'll be hard to get into the Etihad with all the statues around the ground. <laughs> So very, very true. He wouldn't. The thing is, though, like with Silva, is you wouldn't imagine that he would want anything too kind of Mm. overstated. You know, he's very. He 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 barely gives any interviews. I remember Gary Neville saying not so long ago, he's like, you know, I live in Manchester. I don't think I've ever seen him out in Manchester. I've never seen him in a restaurant. I hardly know what his voice sounds like. He just, you know, despite him being on that whole journey, uh, he's just a, a very understated footballer who loves playing football, loves playing for Manchester City. Uh, and he really kind of shuns everything else that goes along with that. So I don't really think, you know, I think the biggest thing that he will he will want and the supporters will want is to be able to say farewell. You know, it's this is so sad that it's, that this his kind of time at the club is ending like this at a time when the fans can't, you know, give him a really really good send off. And I'm sure when he comes back and when it's safe for everyone to do so, that will be enough for him to kind of to to move on to to the next stage in his career, whatever that may be. Mm, uh, just just a final point on maybe whether or not he gets a statue or whatever. Where do you both stand on statues? I know, for example, West Ham have mooted the idea of a, of a statue outside the London Stadium of, of, of the great Bobby Moore, Sir Jeff Hurst and, and Martin Peters. Not necessarily gone down that well with West Ham fans, but maybe that's more to do with the fact that they're not quite in love with the London Stadium. But do we feel like statues are the right way to, to honour players? Or is it better to, as Pep Guardiola says, name a pitch, name a street, name a stand after a player? Tom, do you have a preference or does it not matter to you? Um, I think I think I prefer statues. I just think that the tricky thing is these days is that you do, like I said before, you at City, there are so many players. Um, I don't think any of, I don't think you could pick one out of those players to, to be worthy of a statue in, uh, ahead of the others. Um, and Silver Street sounds a little bit funny, so I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> but Gregor, you'd like a bronze statue of yourself, surely? No, I don't think so. I've never really seen one. If <laughs> you end up like Ronaldo's one, looking oh, yeah. sort of monstrous. No, yeah, no I don't wrong. think. I think, uh, as I say, I think, you know, the memory of the way he plays football is going to be enough for most fans. I think. Mm. Is the the one blot on his CV, Tom, the fact that he hasn't won the Champions League? Well, I suppose it would be, I think he's he's the kind of player who would be totally worthy of it. Um, and it would be, it would be the, 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 the icing on the top of the cake, wouldn't it really? Um, especially as a, as a way to leave and um, the type of player he is, the success he's had. Um, and, and again, it would kind of mark the end of a journey. I mean, ever since the, the owners came in, the whole reason, whatever they say, the whole reason for getting Guardiola in, maybe to dominate English football, but it's also to, to take them to the Champions League, to take them to the top of, of Europe. Um, and it would re- <laughs> there, there would be no better way to mark an ending David Silver's career there than to than to win it, and I do. I really think they've got a chance this year, and I'd love to see them do it. 
Yeah. And I know, obviously, you were talking earlier on, Gregor, about it all coming down to personal taste. But do you think winning the Champions League would actually somehow immortalise him as one of football's greatest when you consider all of his honours, both at club and international level? Um, it's really hard to judge that at this at this moment in time. I think, and I think I think what I was saying about him being quite an understated character kind of counts. It almost counts against you a little bit in those when mm. you're speaking in those those yeah. terms. I think he he's not someone who's ever sought sought any of that or the limelight or anything. He just he just loves playing football. Um, so I think winning the Champions League would be you know it would kind of it would mark the sort of. Um, the end of not the end of the journey, but the Manchester City would have would have kind of come all the way then. In the time he's been at the club, you know, winning the first Premier League title was a was a huge marker, and they did it again. And he's won everything in, on on uh, on English soil. But that would be kind of confirmation of of Manchester City as a kind of European heavyweight, and 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 his his role in that journey is cannot be kind of cannot be questioned. Mm. Now, we know, of course, Silver is leaving, but what about the future of John Stones? He played 90 minutes at the Etihad, but had been an unused sub in the previous three games. In a week where Guardiola admitted Stones' future will be decided this summer, with his current deal coming to an end in 2022. I'm honest with them, and the moment I will feel, not with John, but any player, if we have to change, we are going to tell them. That is what Guardiola said. John Stones, of course, joined City in the, in the same summer as Guardiola in 2016, but has struggled for form and fitness under his tenure. It's a difficult one, really, this. Um, Tom, how would you describe John Stones' time at City? Um, perhaps underwhelming, um, you know, which may be... word I was thinking. Yes, yeah, uh, we're on the same level again. It's Thomas Frank. Oh, um, <laughs> you can come on again every week. <laughs> um, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a career which has slightly drifted, um, and I, I know, especially over the the last year, he's had issues off the pitch. But even looking, I remember last year Gareth Southgate talking about John Stones's career, and and last summer, and he he was talking about. Stones in terms of potential, um, and that was the, to put it into context. I mean, that was that was just after the the, the mistake in the semi-final of the Nations League against Holland, um, and I don't think we should have been talking about Stones uh, Stones in terms of potential by then. Um, and we'll all you know we'll all, all remember the, um, the the famous press conference with Guardiola where he spoke about. Um, about John Stones having more balls than anyone else in the room, he he used to really defend him. I don't I don't think there's a player Guardiola has defended in his time at City more than Stones, and I think that is why now hearing Guardiola talk um, last you know this week about his future, a player who he said would never leave while he was there. I think that shows that represents John Stones' time at Man City really quite nicely because suddenly you've got nine, you know, nineteen-year-old Eric Garcia ahead of him now, um, and this is, uh, I think, the big problem with him as well is is a lack of confidence. Um, he's not, he's not a Vincent Company. He's he's not a Virgil Van Dyke, um, 
and it's been a difficult year. There have been injuries, but it, it's just been a case of drifting, and and it and it's sad to see, really. Mm. So Tom, there saying he's drifting. He's, he's still just twenty six years old. So Gregor, should he be looking to move away from the Etihad? I think if he wants to play regular football next season, I mean, we, it's no secret that Manchester City are going to have to sign a centre back, um, and he'll likely play alongside. Laporte and Garcia's emerging, so he's way down the pecking order. Um, so if he wants to play regular football, I think, I think he should. Yeah, and he, I agree with Tom. It's been it's an it's kind of pretty fascinating sort of career arc, and I say that arc when he's he's only twenty six, as you say. But you know, when he first came through, he was he almost sort of embodied a bit of a, a shift in attitude towards English defenders and you know what they should do, and he would make mistakes, but people would defend them. Say you know this no we want him to play this way and you know remember that time at Everton he was doing about twelve Cruyffs in his own penalty box and telling the fans to calm down, but that was always you know oh no that's John Stones he's the future of English, of English defenders you know, um, but he never stopped making the mistakes, even after City paid fifty million for him, and he's not really improved, and I think actually that kind of when you look back on that time I think that. The fact that he's a really good footballer, and there's no doubt and he is, he's a well above average footballer for a centre-half, I think that masked the fact that he's not really a natural defender by instinct. And, you know, to, so the, there are errors where he tries to play out, but there's also errors like the, the error in the, in the World Cup semi-final against Croatia, where he just completely switched off and Mandzukic ran off behind, ran kind of off his shoulder and, and scored the, the winning goal. It's you know, it's not always a glaring error from him kind of trying to play out from the back or something. Sometimes they're basic defensive errors. And so for that reason, I think I think he's probably he's probably not quite at the level to play in the very best teams in England, internationally or kind of in Europe, really. The best period of, of Stones' career at, uh, since joining City was probably that, that the 2018 World Cup in um, with with Southgate, um, and I think the interesting thing, looking back now in, in hindsight, looking at the way teams in the Premier League are playing at the moment, is Southgate played a back three, and you see um, you see what Arsenal are doing now, and suddenly David Luiz and Godron Mustafi, they look like such better defenders because a back three protects you so much more, and I think when he's when he's in a two, he struggles so much more. So, just from what you were just saying there, Gregor, you, you can't see him moving to a top four team if he was to be made made available. Um, I can't I can't see any of any top four team paying the kind of money that would be required to to sign John Stones. Mm. I don't really see them them paying for him anyway. Actually, I don't know. I don't think so. I think. So what? For what level? Where? where I don't where know. It's fair. It's going to be difficult for him. He might. He might end up going ab- abroad. I mean, because you know, it's it's difficult when you've when you've when you've been on that kind of upward trajectory and you were a regular for England, uh, playing for the best team in the country, won the Premier League. Uh, the next step is going to be a big step down, um, mm. and sometimes that can be difficult for for your ego as much as anything. So. You know, he might he might be someone who goes who goes and plays abroad, and uh, you know, it might be a better fit for him. Um, I don't. I, I I certainly would be surprised to see anyone like a like Arsenal or Chelsea or uh, even a Spurs or anyone like that saying saying John Stones. No. Yeah, Tom, do you agree, or or do you think there is still 
a chance for for Stones somewhere in either one of the top four teams or at least in the Premier League. I know Gregor hasn't ruled that out completely, but what do you think? I think the only the only team I can see him at um, potentially see him at in within the elite now is is Leicester. Um, I can see. I think Brendan Rodgers is such a good manager, and he's he gets players and improves them, and 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 I think I think it could possibly work out there. The issue is whether they, like Gregor said, is is how much they're paying for him because it, there's no guarantees given what's happened over the last four years. He's he's been quite injury prone. Um, I don't think he's played more than two competitive games in a row since February 2019, I believe I'm right in saying. Um, so that's a big issue. And, and of course, we have seen City players with that sort of situation, the the, the concern about sort of the ego uh, going abroad, like Gregor said, I can really see that happening. And Mika Richards spoke about his move to Fiorentina as one of the best things he's ever done in his life as a as a human being, um, so I think it, it would it would it would make sense. Well, you mentioned Chelsea, perhaps Gregor, that he he was unlikely to go there. But let's talk about them because they they capped a good week, which saw them move up to third with a three-two win over Crystal Palace. And there's the movement off the field as well because there's hopes of more incomings at the club, and there's suggestions of Kai Havertz coming in. Now, he's handed a major boost to, to the likes of Chelsea after the highly rated attacking midfielder told by Leverkusen that he wants to leave them this summer. And Tom, you've been writing about Havertz for the Times this week. Real Madrid are also in the market for him as well, the 21-year-old. But Tom, tell us why Chelsea fans should be getting excited. Well, excited is is because of the level of, of player he is, which we can talk about. But, mm. but I think the, 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 also because of the fact there, there's, there's real belief that he could end up at, at Chelsea. Um, and that is because of almost a, a perfect storm happening, really. And, and that is because of the, the economic impact that coronavirus has had. Um, you've got Real Madrid, who are, who are very much interested in him. Um, he's considered as, as one of these players who's still only 21. He's considered as one of these players who could be among the world's best um, in, a, in within years. Um, the problem is that Real Madrid's the impact of coronavirus on on Real Madrid's um, finances means that they they want to push it until to next year. And Havertz doesn't want that. He he wants to leave now. Leverkusen obviously didn't qualify for the Champions League either, and he wants to be playing at that level, which is why Chelsea finishing in the top four is so so crucial. Um, Bayern Munich were also interested in him, but the the signing of Leroy Sane um, meant that they would want to push that back also by a year. Um, so this puts Chelsea as sort of front runner. Leverkusen, because of his potential, see him as, as, as valued at around about ninety million pounds, whereas Chelsea are closer to to seventy. Um, but it's a move you 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 can see happening, um, and it's because of it, it would be it would be a big signal of intent, and and I think possibly even bigger than that summer when Chelsea bought in Fabregas and Diego Costa. Um, it would probably be one of the biggest sort of transformations since 
the beginning of, of the Abramovich era, really. For those that may may not be aware of Kai Havertz, then what, what sort of a player is he and, and who would he then displace in, in the Chelsea side? Well, I think that's probably one of the most interesting um, and compelling topics of how it will turn out because they've just brought in Ziek and Ziek is the kind of player who plays off the right um, and cuts in onto his left foot. What well, Havertz is, is pretty much the exact same position. Um, so they don't necessarily need someone like this, especially because they've got quite a few attacking players now in the, in a similar position. But Havertz, because of his potential and because of how good he is now, I, I keep talking about potential, but he's, he's such a good player now. Um, it, it's a case of if you can get him, go and get him because he's going to be that good, because he is that good. Um, so I think the, the, the concern is, Possibly, and, and I think it's why we're seeing the, the likes of Pedro go, why we're seeing William's uh, contract negotiations despite his form being so good, why we're seeing that um, there's such uncertainty around his future. But, but Havertz, is, he, he's quick, he's, he's strong. He's, Lampard will certainly like him because the only player that I can kind of compare him to in terms of, in terms of, timing his run into the box is Lampard um he's got a real uh, knack for that um and also Lampard's spoken about a need to to, to have a more physical presence well have 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 a, isn't your your um your your David Silva your small nimble artist in there he's he's a presence um and that would be key as well um but he creates a lot of chances he scores a lot of goals um, he, he can play as a false nine. So he's versatile. Well, you know, I was just about to ask you about that because I, I've been doing a little bit of research on him and I, I'm led to believe, like you say, obviously he's a right, plays on the right more often than not, but he can play as a centre forward, an attacking midfielder, everything. That versatility is an added bonus, isn't it, to, to someone like Frank Lampard, surely? Completely. And I think it's what I find interesting as well is that there are the players that are that they're interested in, the players they've signed with Ziyech and with Timo Werner from Leipzig, they are all pretty versatile. Um, and it, it, it almost reminds you potentially of, of what Klopp's done at, at Liverpool in that you've got this interchanging front three, a fluid movement of the front three. Um, and I think that's potentially what you could see at Chelsea. Um, Tammy Abraham... He's obviously more of a focal man up front. Um, but I think there's that rotation. And, um, and and I think it would be, you know, it would be such a dangerous attack, which which Chelsea, are, when you think Pulisic, how good Pulisic's been this year, Chelsea are pretty, pretty well stocked in that position already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's only going to add to that sort of free-flowing, pacey attack. And I think other clubs will be wary of them, that's for sure. Uh, along with uh, Timo Werner, Havertz was one of the Bundesliga standout players of last season, scoring 17 goals, claiming nine assists in all competitions. With the Times also reporting this week that Frank Lampard has stepped up his interest in West Ham midfielder Declan Rice, as they see him as uh, a successor to John Terry in the Chelsea defence. Where else do you think they need improving, Gregor? Um, a certain centre half, left back, 
and goalkeeper. <laughs> Simple as Good that. You. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you saw it, you saw it against against Palace on Tuesday. They scored, uh, and then Christensen stepped out into no man's land, uh, was skipped skipped beyond, and immediately Palace had had brought a score. Um, immediately Palace had got a goal back. Um, it just seems that Chelsea. I think I think there was a stat where Chelsea had scored two or more goals in the last eight games, but they'd also conceded more goals than Palace. So you know, there's no, it's no, it's no secret that their defence is the biggest issue. And and I'd say Kepa. You know, we we spoke a bit about uh, David de Gea the other um, uh, last week, and you know his form has has suffered, but we know what he's capable of. I'm really not sure that we've seen. What Kepa was supposed to be capable of since he's arrived, he's he's not he's not lived up to to his price tag or expectations. And you know Zaha's goal was a was a, a lovely strike against Palace, but he looked like a little kid who couldn't jump off the floor high enough. It was he just doesn't look like a presence in the goal. And so I, I think the goal the goalkeeper is a big issue. Um, Centre half definitely Rudiger is someone who is a solid enough defender, but I think Christensen and Zuma. Um, are probably not good enough for a Chelsea team that are looking so strong in other asp- other areas of the pitch. Um, even even Kurt Zou- even you know Chelsea again they were they they almost considered an equaliser at the death when when Scott Dan hit the post with a header, and then again <laughs> even after that warning, um, there was a through ball to Benteke and and Zuma, you know it was highlighted as this amazing tackle, but he was just left in in acres of space. Uh, and I just think I think I think defensively there are huge issues for them still. Mm. So Chelsea need to bolster their defensive line. If they do that and bring in Havertz as well, Gregor, for you, could you see them as title challengers next season? I still think that's a huge leap. I mean, there, there would be no two ways about it. That that they're attacking options with Zayek, Werner, as Tom says, Willian. We're slightly unsure about his future, but Pulisic. Hudson Adoy is not really kind of lifted off the season, but he's still a huge talent. Mason Mount, brilliant breakthrough season. Same with Tammy Abraham, Ross Barkley. Loftus Cheek came back at, again in the last in the last week, and he's he made a delightful little pass through for Tammy Abraham. He's a real talent as well. So, so many attacking players, like an embarrassment of riches. Um, it's just behind that. Even even the even the role of of Kante is a big question mark because. You know he's not he's he's often been played in a slightly more advanced role, and it's whether he's comfortable in that. And then if he plays at the base of midfield, where he's the the teams he's played his best football in, but it be that France, the World Cup winning team at France, the Premier League winning team under Conte, the Premier League winning winning team under um, Ranieri with Leicester, they were all counter attacking teams where really they kind of soaked up pressure and sprung forward from that. And I I think Chelsea look best when they counter attack like that, but. There, there have been question marks about his role too. So you know, there are, basically going forward, it's looking really good for Chelsea. <laughs> they just, I think, there's issues tactically and with the personnel um, in defence for them to definitely, you know, still big issues if they really want to narrow that gap. Mm. We know, as, as mentioned, Chelsea will be saying goodbye to Pedro in the summer after he agreed a deal to join Roma. Likely to also lose William. We we've heard from Tom Roddy there that perhaps unable to agree a new deal at the club. But with all of these incomings and, and exciting incomings to Chelsea, do you think, Tom, actually keeping hold of someone like William 
would be beneficial still because he'll come in, he'll have that experience. He's, he turns 32 in, in August and, you know, uh, some of these players aren't, aren't old, but Zayak is 27, uh, Havertz 21, Werner 24. Do you still need to have people in there with Premier League experience? Perhaps. I think, I think Frank Lampard would love to keep him. I remember Chelsea playing down at, uh, at Southampton um, before the, the lockdown and Frank Lampard celebrating um, uh, William put coming back and, and protecting, you know, making a, a run back as if it was a goal. And I think he really raked his discipline. And, and I've always been a really big fan of, of William. I think the problem is what they can offer him because with all these, with the signings coming in, with the potential signings coming in, um, how much football does a player like William, who, as we've seen over the last two, three weeks, is, is still a, a brilliant player, uh, how, how much football can you promise him? And the answer is, is, not, is not much. And um, I think we know from Frank Lampard's style at Chelsea that he's, he's very honest. That is his man management. That's how he's been able to keep Olivier Giroud, Pedro and William so so true um, and and so good this season is because he's he's honest in his approach um, and I think that may see William leave in the end um, but I do think I do think it would be it would be a shame and I think he's a it would be a big loss as well. Mm. I suppose the question is what we need to do right now then, Tom Gregor. We need to go through. A little game. Should we do that? Let's, let's discuss Chelsea and whether or not they need to have a clear out because clearly Frank Lampard wants to bring in more players at the club, but that's only going to make their squad even bigger. So let's, let's do this. Let's start with Olivier Giroud, who's 33. Do you back or bin? Gregor? He's just signed a new contract. Um, he's still a, he's a, he's a, a very handy alternative to the kind of players that Chelsea have. Uh, he's an out-and-out centre-forward. They only really have him and Tammy Abraham who fit that bracket, so I would keep him. All right, so we're keeping him. As per the Coetta, what do you think, Tom? Oh, um, back, yes. I mean, they've got Reese James coming through. Um, I think the thing with Azpilicueta is he's ex- he's another player who's extremely versatile, can play left back as well. And I'm not complete. I think Reese James is going to be a brilliant player, but I'm not convinced he's as disciplined as Azpilicueta. So back him for now. Back him for now. Let's turn to Danny Drinkwater. Not had the best of it at uh, Stamford Bridge. So I'm kind of guessing which way you might go with this one, Gregor. Yeah, but good luck getting him, <laughs> getting him binned. I think, you know, he's earning... Uh, some pretty good money, and he's unlikely. I think if he's moving on, it'll be on loan again. So, but yes, he's he's not going to be featuring for for Lampard's team next season. No, okay. So he gets he gets the bin. Uh, are you backing or binning Tom Marcus Alonso? Uh, binning. Um, I think I'd r- r- prefer to see Emerson stick around. Although, having said that, I think it's going to probably be the opposite happening. I think Emerson will, will end up leaving because he's he's the preferred player and I think Alonso will maybe stick around, end up sticking around as, as backup to whoever they do bring in. Okay, all right. What about N'Golo Kante? Where do you stand on him? As if you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one for me? Well, I mean, I, Tom, I'm guessing you want him to stick around <laughs> by that response. 
But let's see what Gregor thinks. Yeah, I mean, it's very, as I say, it's interesting the way he's, since Conte's left, really, he's not, he's not had a, a definitive role. And it's kind of, you know, there have been games where he's, you've, he's, he's flourished, even playing more advanced. Um, but his best position is, is a holding midfielder in front of the back four, or a, a destroyer, basically. He's the best in the world at that. And I think any team that can't find room for N'Golo Kante is going gonna, is gonna to be some team. Okay. All so right. We'll so him, that's, yeah. that's yeah, the back. Definitely. Okay, we're backing yeah. him. Uh, okay, so you're backing Kante. Where do you stand on Jorginho? Do we back or bin, Tom? Um, blimey, after that last 10 minutes at Palace the other night, you'd be tempted to go for the back. Um, but I think I think we're going to bin because it's not the... He, he slows down the ball a little bit too much and that, that last 10 minutes isn't quite the way um, Frank Lampard's Chelsea wants to play. Okay, so Jorginho is out. Uh, Rudiger, kind of you kind of alluded to him already, Gregor. But where do you what do you think about him? Are we backing or binning? I think backing because you know he's experienced as well, and certainly in relative terms compared to the compared to Christensen or Zuma, I think either of those two could move on. Perhaps both. Um, so yeah, I would keep Rudiger. They need they need at least one centre half, and and they need somebody of some experience in that team because it's it's certainly very young, a lot of yeah. you know early twenties. Um, so no, I'd keep him definitely. Okay, all right. So he's being kept. Oh, Mishi Bashawai, Tom. <laughs> um, uh, it's a, it's a bin, I'm afraid. He's a he's a brilliant character, but it's. Um, it just never worked out for him at Chelsea. Whoever the highlight was was that goal um, to to win the league at West Brom, wasn't it, under the Conte era? But it's just never worked out for him, and it's clear that none of the managers have, have totally had faith in him. Um, so I think it's it's time to say goodbye. Oh, goodbye, Mishibashwai. <laughs> Do we say goodbye or stay, stay, Kovacic, Gregor? No, I would I would keep Kovacic. I think he's yeah. had a really good season. Just twenty six um, as well. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. His first season, his first season in the Premier League wasn't was a bit underwhelming. But and again, he's not a player who kind of lights up the you know the the stats. But he he is a he is a really good midfielder, and I think I think he's he's kind of grown into the team this year, and so definitely a valued member of of uh, Lampard's squad. All right, then, Kovacic. Now, I know Gregor has already run the rule over Kepa, but, Tom, do you agree with what Gregor says? Do Chelsea need a new goalkeeper? If so, are you binning him? I don't think it's it's crucial. I think they could, they could challenge um, or close the gap to Liverpool and Man City with him still in the team. Um, but I think his, the big problem is that is actually that I just don't think the defence has any confidence in him. He doesn't come to collect anything. Um, so I think it's a bin. I'd like to see uh, Nick Pope in there instead. Oh, interesting. Do, does that work for you quickly, Gregor, Nick Pope? Well, he was outstanding against West Ham and yeah. I think he's certainly got a claim for for an England jersey now. Um, he looks much more assured than... Jordan Pickford, so I wouldn't be surprised if if there are some there is some serious interest in him, not not necessarily from Chelsea, but from from some some clubs this summer, mm. definitely. Just lastly, then, Gregor, run the rule over Kennedy, back or bin? Ben, I don't need to say anymore. Gregor, <laughs> is that all you can say to Kennedy? You're harsh. <laughs> 
really interesting <laughs> that. Um, th- I think actually Kennedy was the was the first player in that list, Gregor, that you decided to bin. Up until then, you'd been like, players union, stick with them, <laughs> stick with them. <laughs> Danny uh, Drinkwater got the elbow. Well, kind of, but you're a bit like, you oh, can't really get rid of him because of the money that he's on, et cetera, et cetera. But all yeah. right, all right, we'll let you off. We'll let you off. Okay. Uh, very quickly, Declan Rice, can he do a job for Chelsea? Could he be someone to help plug the defensive issues that they have, Tom? Uh, I'm... I'm not sure. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I don't think. I don't think um, when you look at, at the teams like Man City and Chelsea and Man United, they're they're sort of in a similar position to Liverpool when they bought Van Dijk in. And that's the that's the big player. A lot of them are missing, and Chelsea is certainly. I think if they had a Van Dijk, they'd be a title contender. Um, I don't think Declan Rice is is there. Is their Van Dyke, but I do think he'd be a big improvement on what they've got. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust Oleum's new Custom Spray 5 in 1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Hello, I'm Stig Abel. I'm Asma Mir, and you can hear our breakfast programme on Times Radio. Join us as we talk to special guests about everything you need to know for the day ahead. Listen to our morning show for free on DAB Radio, your smart speaker at times.radio and via our Times Radio app. Every Monday to Thursday, 6am to 10am on Times Radio. Know your times. Now, it's fair to say our our friend and game podcast regular Matt Dickinson has raised a few eyebrows this week with an article in the Times entitled, Is Switching the Club You Support Really Such a Crime? Well, Matt is a QPR fan, but admits, and of course, why wouldn't he, 
at the envy that he feels <laughs> as uh, local rivals Brentford prepare for life in their swanky new stadium and how a potential switch for him and his family would be practical for logistical reasons and probably make for a more exciting life with Brentford pushing for promotion in the championship, unlike QPR. And Matt explains in the piece that QPR was not his first love. He says, how many clubs is permissible in a life? Thinking back, I moved from Leeds to Cambridge at about 11. Loyalties were necessarily shifted from one United to another. Through to adulthood, Cambridge became my club through thick and a lot of thin. I remain in regular contact with some involved there, but to cut a long story short, we moved to London. My wife worked at QPR. The kids became attached, and next thing you know, you have three season tickets, a couple of shirts, and are driving to Stoke away. And there are those who would say that Changing partners and marriages is easier, more socially acceptable than switching football clubs. I have certainly been told that any more jokes about it will end in punches. This is a big debate and I, I can't see anyone agreeing that it, you should be able to change your club. But let me let me come to you, Gregor. Is it ever OK to change the club you support? <laughs> I have to say I really enjoyed this piece. Um, yeah, it's very well written, isn't it? I, te- very good. I texted Matt actually to say as much, and he said that he he decided to take a day off uh, social media after <laughs> posting <laughs> it online. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can imagine the reaction. So, hey, look, it was it was interesting because you know the the experiences he he's had are um, you, you can understand the fact he moved he moved uh, from Leeds to Cambridge, and therefore he became attached to the club. Uh, to Cambridge when he was there and then he moved to to London and he became attached to his local club and people always say you should support your local club the thing I the the only issue I have is that really if you are a supporter of a club from childhood which is often the way often you know your your family or your you know your your mum or dad or somebody a brother or sister are the it's their fault (laughs) that's why it's their fault they're the reason you support a football club I feel like it's kind of it's almost like the first rule of fandom that once that is uh, embedded within you, and that and that's kind of you've made that choice as a child that there's no going back. So you might you might develop an affinity with another local club as you move around the country or move somewhere else, uh, but really I feel like the first club is your one true love. That's the kind of way it has to be. Mm. Um, and I've had an you know I, personally I've had a kind of interest in relationship with the, t- the team I grew up supporting was Celtic as a as a boy. I, I lived in Edinburgh, but my dad oh. was a Cel- my dad was a Celtic right. fan, so it was his fault. <laughs> and as I have to say, you know, Celtic are the dominant force now. I went I went to school when Rangers won nine in a row. School was torturous for me. You know, I just every year Rangers won the league and it was like, oh God, I don't want to go to school today. So, you know, I was, certainly wasn't a glory hunter. But I had a season ticket for a couple of years and then I started playing football and I couldn't really go and then I moved down to to Nottingham to play for Forest, and I have to say, I have to say, you know, Forest was the first club I played for, and I lived in the city for fifteen years, so I have a real affinity with Nottingham Forest. I I I wouldn't say I'm a supporter, but they would probably be the the next club I will look for the result on a on a Saturday. Um, and I also feel that the my kind of relationship with Celtic changed because when you're a professional footballer, it's I don't know. It's have to be delicate in saying this, but it's hard to you have you have you develop a different different relationship with fans. Mm. So I I found it hard to be as much of a kind of ardent fan of Celtic as I as the longer I was away from 
from Scotland in the in the longer I was a professional footballer. But Celtic are still my first club, and that's the, that's the club I support. So I don't know. That's a roundabout answer, but I think the answer is no. Yeah, basically, I think that's what you're saying. You've got it really politely. It's, it's complicated, really though. It is quite complicated. You know, a lot of people were black and white in their answers, and and especially on social media. But but the, you know, the reason that this got such a good reaction was because it was an interesting subject and a really good call. It, well, it is. And the thing is, I don't know how many people will truly own up to ever switching clubs, for example. But, Tom, let's come to you. Do you, do you have your club? Is that the club you've always had as a, as a, as a boyhood fan? What, what, where do you stand on this huge debate? Yes, yes. Um, I have a club and I've, I've always sort of stuck with them. But um, I think Greg will... Are you not revealing them, though, Tom? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but uh, but but I think Gregor summed it up really nicely in saying that um, you have an affinity to, to teams. I mean, I, I went to the university um, in Brighton and I don't support Brighton, but I, I certainly want them to do well and and have an affinity to, to, to Brighton now. Um, but I think um, the thing with this this piece, the way I, you know, Matt logging off social media was was because everyone was thinking it was it was completely ridiculous. And Matt's such a brilliant writer that you come away from his pieces actually thinking a lot about them. And I'd never really considered, but it's it's totally true the fact that you know so and so splitting up or or getting divorced it seems ridiculously so much more socially acceptable than so-and-so's decided he's supporting Tottenham this week instead of Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think it's more I took away from it was just the, the ridiculousness of it, to be honest. Um, but again, uh, it, it, I think it's a no. The thing is, and I, and I will play devil's advocate in just a moment, but what I will say on this is obviously I've made it clear that I'm a Brentford fan. I could never imagine supporting... Are any... you? <laughs> <laughs> I could never imagine supporting another club because that is the club I've kind of grown up loving and you, you put yourself through it. You go through the highs and all the lows. That is what it is to be a football fan, in my opinion. And and I, I understood Matt Dickinson's analogy about you know marriages and things like that, but I don't see it as a marriage with football. I see football as like your best mate, the best mate that you fall out with. You have your moments of hatred with them. You have all that. You have your tearful ups, you know, moments with them. But ultimately, you always get back together. You always are best mates because that's what you are. You're just friends and you go through everything together. But as I say, devil's advocate, there may well be some circumstances that will lead you to perhaps change football teams, whether it is you move location and, then, and you know, you do end up, I don't know, going to that local club where you've moved to and, and starting to build some sort of affinity with that club. Uh, Manchester City, West Ham fans argue that perhaps their club is no longer the club they grew up supporting. So they look that some might consider changing who they follow. And also you could look at the likes of, AFC Wimbledon and MK Dons, obviously there, there are reasons as to why some fans didn't want to go with, with, M, with uh, MK Dons when they moved, obviously, outside of London. So there are some issues, Gregor, that I suppose we do have to factor in. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the, the, the reasons for divorce have to be all, all the more severe in, <laughs> for yes. a football fandom than it would in a relationship. Yes. So, you know, I, I, would, I would say Blackpool's another good example. Blackpool yeah, fans spent four years, maybe more, uh, refusing to go to a game. They boycotted going to watch their club. But but that was done out of love. It was done because they knew the guy at the helm was, was an odious individual. And 
uh, he was sort of driving the club into the dirt. Mm. Um, and they, they were doing what they thought they, they had to, to, to for him to leave. And, and it was, they were successful in the end. But, you know, I, I, but then on the, you know, the kind of flip side to that is I, I've obviously, I, you know, I write the, the journeyman column. I've done it for, for four years now. And, and so I go to a lot of the, the kind of non-league clubs, um, and you do get you do get some supporters who are kind of a little bit turned off by the by the the excess and the money and and the sort of glitz and glamour of the Premier League, and they they kind of hark they they kind of want football to to be a little bit like it was in the past. Uh, it's a little bit there's closer proximity to the players and to the to the game itself. Um, so you know that, that you can understand that as well. I think even someone who was say really turned off by. As you know, producer Max is a West Ham fan. He, will, I'll go for West Ham. West Ham have, have left their home behind, and it seems like they've lost their soul a little bit. So if so, if a supporter decided instead to go and watch Leighton Orient or uh, a non-league team somewhere in London, um, I think they would still say they were a West Ham fan at heart. But they could, you could feel that they they didn't want they didn't really, I don't know, they didn't feel the same connection. They didn't feel the same connection to the club that they grew up supporting. So they want to go and. Get their, they don't want to give them the money either, and so they go and try and get their football fix elsewhere. So I feel that these things are all, you know, there is some nuance to this, but um, ultimately most fans just hear this this the subject, the, the whole idea of of changing <laughs> changing the club support and and uh, their blood boils and steam starts coming out of their ears. Yeah, Gregor, you know that last bit's going to get edited out, yeah? Max. <laughs> Cheers, Max. <laughs> but let's be honest, just to wrap it up, there are some switches that are just plain wrong. If people are switching allegiances, which I don't agree with in any way, because I do believe you pick your club and that's who you support. But I was speaking to somebody just the other day about this same subject, and they had told me about a friend of theirs who had swapped from being a Derby fan to a Nottingham Forest fan. Gregor, you know that's not right. Yeah, I mean, that's just nonsense, really. It's kind of... I think you know we've, despite everything we've just said, if someone does that, you just feel like they're not—they're not really a kind of—they were never a real football fan in the first place. Yeah, and do you know the reason they said they switched because they moved there? It's hardly that far apart. Let's be honest. <laughs> no, no, but yeah. anyway, <laughs> do you know what? It's been really interesting. That is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to Tom as well. Remember, you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search the Times subscription for more information. And we'll be back with you on Monday. Have a good weekend. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.